Hello, patrons, and welcome to the patron special for September 2017, the one week late patron special. We apologize for any inconvenience that uh, our lives may have caused you, but uh, we are back and we are recording this, so enjoy. Yeah, we we will make this an extra special episode just to, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I was not prepared to make this an extra special episode. You should always be prepared to make this an extra special episode. Look, I had six hours of sleep last night, so, (laughs) and I usually get eight to nine, so, like, I'm a little out of it today. Well. So, Pride. Yeah. Uh, I initially thought when you told me we were going to do that, this, that this was a documentary, and so I was in the, I was prepared for a very different experience than what we got. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So you thought this was going to be like a sober talking head documentary yeah, you know, about the, socialism, and instead you got a like rousing- Mid-2000s uh, gay movie, yeah. Yeah, Ealing, Ealing comedy style uh, movie about gay people and my, cute little minors in Wales. What did you think about this movie? Oh, I liked it because I, I'm not in a place for a sober, sad documentary, and so a very, you know- bubbly happy thing was very nice for me (laughs) yeah no i i love this movie a lot i I think i first heard about it about mm, probably a year ago now and i i Mm -hmm. rented it and i watched it and i enjoyed it quite a bit cried at the end you know it's all very exciting and i i actually have watched it i think like four more times since then um partly because and this is a little bit self-serving on my part uh, one of the reasons I, I wanted to do Pride as a patron special, uh, aside from the fact that I thought it would be a good movie for for Richard and I to talk about and that it would be interesting for, for our patrons to hear, because I don't think that this is a, a movie that a lot of people know exists. And I this didn't is a, of it, yeah. Yeah, and this is a story that a lot of people don't know, I think especially yeah. outside of, of England um, or Britain, and as long as it is still uh, the United Kingdom, I guess. Um, and... It's also a little bit self-serving, as I said, because I am running a Democratic Socialist of America uh, conference call discussion on this movie uh, tonight, actually. Um, so I would tell you to check it out if you could, but you can't because this will be released in two days and it, the conference call will have been over by that point. So I apologize for that, but I'm sure it was great. <laughs> um, so it's obviously like really, really up my alley in terms of interests because it's got queer issues. It's got uh, cute old ladies that are raunchy. Uh, and it also <laughs> deals with uh, solidarity and, and socialism in, in a real way. And it's also really, really fun. Like you, you say that and you think, okay, this movie is going to be really intense. And it's not. Yeah, there's all these great, you know, scenes at clubs and they're dancing and parties and things. And it's very much... It's very much about this solidarity being a fun, positive thing that elevates everybody who is involved in it. Everybody is very happy to have met each other by the end of the movie. Yeah, solidarity as a, as a real thing. And, and I think that this is something that, you know, perhaps a, a lot of non-socialists don't get. I mean, I have come to my socialism over years and, you know, now I'm like firmly entrenched in it. Um, I am trying to start a Democratic Socialist of America chapter uh, where I live. Um, so I'm pretty like into it now. And, you know, solidarity is this is this nebulous term that, that can be difficult, of course, because, you know, essentially what it is, is just wh- whatever your race, whatever your creed, whatever your sexuality, like wherever you come from, uh, 
what links everybody together is is being a worker. And so the and, you know, it is a little bit, I think, problematic in terms of of American racial politics. Mm. But I still think it's a good, uh, you know, it's still a very good model for for how we should interact with people in general. And I think it's just really saying, you know what? Solidarity is everyone has their similarities, even though they have a lot of differences. And if we support you, and, and this is what one of the characters in the movie even says, like, you support us, we support you. This is how progress happens. This is how we protect each other as as people. And it's a really, really powerful concept. I mean, the movie starts out with the, the people in, in LGSM, Lesbians and Gays Support the Minors, singing Solidarity Forever, which, of course, is, uh, I mean, it moves me because I've, I've actually sung that before, yeah. you know. <laughs> and it's a great song. It's a good moment. They're very excited. But I think this movie really does embody the, the the best of what solidarity can mean if you really commit to it. Solidarity is not a term that is thrown around around me very often, uh, just in these circles that I travel. But what this is really making the libertarian me... social uh, libertarian circles. Yes, of course. Uh, we 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 just don't know why you know the blacks can't get their bootstraps together like we did. Um, and what this is reminding I I I tend to be in circles that talk more in the, in terms of identity politics and intersectionality. And I am really fucking sick of all of these white dudes who really misunderstand this and think that I mean there is the. There is the Tumblr interpretation of intersectionality, which is that, well, you know, I'm this and I'm this and therefore I have more of a right to speak. And I think that's a misinterpretation. I think it's intersectionality is a way of saying that oppression will happen on us in different ways. But at the same time, I think solidarity might be that missing piece. The At the very beginning, there the... The, the gay group is basically saying, listen, we've been harassed by cops. Thatcher hates us too. You know, we've been treated like shit. We're all poor. And these minors, they're harassed by cops. Thatcher hates them. They're poor. We It may manifest in different terms. Obviously, a minor is not going to get gay bashed. Obviously, a gay man is not going to be out of work in the mines because they are closed down from a strike. But at the same time, they're fighting a common enemy and they can still kind of understand each other. I mean, I've seen so many people who have said, well, because, you know, I'm a woman and you're not, and you can never understand what I'm going through. But at the same time, you know, I'm gay. I have had my own oppressions. We can at least at least agree that things kind of both suck and that they suck from the same angles. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all of that. And I, I think that the other piece of that for me is uh, that's similar to, to kind of things that I've been thinking about, that that solidarity and intersectionality, I think, are, are sort of you know, two sides of the same yeah. coin in a sense. And, you know, what you say, like, I'm a woman, you can't understand what I've gone through. You know, I'm a gay man, you can't understand what I've gone through. I'm, uh, you know, African-American, you can't understand what I've gone through. And I, I, I think that is true. Yeah. And that is valuable. And we should listen to the lived experiences of all of these different groups. What I think is is the missing piece, as you say, is understanding how these different identities intersect. That's where intersectionality comes from. And then saying, okay, I will listen to you, I will accept what you tell me, and I will support you yeah. unconditionally. And that is where the solidarity piece comes in. You know, it's not about uh, uh, kind of trying to understand, I think, because I don't think you can. Like, yeah. I, you know, I'm a gay man. I don't necessarily think that a straight guy can really understand everything I've gone through. 
Um, not to say that that I have it that hard. I mean, you know, I'm a white gay cis man. That's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but I do still have my own struggles, as Richard has had his own struggles, as everybody has had their own struggles. But I think that is right, where, where Solidarity says all those struggles are important. We listen to them. We honor them. We will help you through them by supporting you unconditionally. And that is, I think, the power yeah. of, of this movie. And it's really, really, it's really, really profound to see, I think. Yeah, because at this, they, they, they may never quite understand each other, but that doesn't, number one, that doesn't mean that they can't be friends. They can't be extremely close. I mean, you get the sense that a lot of lifelong friendships were, came out of the, out of these events from here. And again, at the very end of the movie, they go to the gay pride parade because, well, you were here for us. I mean, I, I think, so I used to live in an Occupy house for a little while and uh, one just random Craigslist find. And one of the big talking points of Occupy was where the 99%. There is this 1%. There is this tiny elite who is making things bad for everybody. And it is the one of the tools of the elite to fracture that into all of these different groups, right? If you have you know, women's issues and black issues and gay issues and all of these they, all of these different struggles which are seen as siloed from each other, then that's weak. Then you have nobody can get together. If you have everybody banding together and say, well, we are the 99%, you know, the minors and the, and the gays are going through the same thing and look at our numbers. I, I mean, I think that's where the power comes from. And I think the, the, the point of solidarity in this way is to is to make that numbering clear. I mean, they, this this is not a movie that has the language of the 99% that was, even at the time the movie was made, that concept hadn't really been codified in the way that it is now. But at the same time, that is what they're going for. I think intersectionality is the and identity politics are the way that, 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 that the various groups don't get erased at the same time. I mean, because the biggest critique of socialist groups that I've ever seen is that well, you go to a socialist group and it's going to be mostly white dudes. And, you know, a lot of women I know feel uncomfortable in socialist places. I went to one DSA meeting in Portland and in the group that I was in, literally everybody was, oh, well, I, 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 I work in policy. I'm a lawyer. I'm this and I'm a fucking cook. Like it, it felt very – I felt very out of place there because there was – you know, not, I, I didn't feel represented in that. And I think there is a – degree to I mean we even see a little bit of that in this movie where you have this you know breakaway what is it lesbians against pit closures uh, mm-hmm. because they feel that their issues are not talked about I mean there are going to be some very particular issues for women in these mining communities that are not being addressed I mean I think uh, it, 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 and you have the main character saying well you know we really need to deal with the strike and stuff I mean I, I think it is interesting that the movie does address that even in groups of people who wish to have solidarity with each other, there are still blind spots, maybe. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I, I think that, you know, I do want to talk more about lesbians against pit closures because I, I, I think it's probably one of the minor areas where the, well, it's not a minor area, but one of the, one of the ways in which the movie, I think, falls down a little bit and, and um, it, it doesn't work for me. And I'll, I'll get yeah. into that in a little bit. But I, I think you're right. And I, I mean, I think the way I want to get into this, because I don't know if anybody listening to this uh, that isn't British really has a good understanding of, 
you know, what was going on, uh, you know, during the strike in, in 1984 and 1985. And, you know, essentially, and we can't forget that the miners lost. Mm. Um, I think there are seven coal mines still open in the entirety of the United Kingdom. Um, they lost. They They were crushed. Uh, all of these mining towns are completely desolate, wiped out, um, you know, high unemployment, uh, not not a good situation. Right. And, and not to say and this is kind of the weird thing is that mining coal is not a great life either. Right? Well, but yeah, I, but there is but there is dignity in the work. It does give them power. It does give them an identity. Uh, you know, it, it is the case that if the coal mines were not there, these towns would not have been there. And. I think that what's interesting about this movie is it kind of papers over that a little bit. It it definitely, uh, it has an arc. It has a style. The tone is very lighthearted. There are a couple of serious moments, but for the most part, it's, you know, kind of this um, ensemble eeling comedy sort of thing where everybody is having their little moment to shine and make a joke. And, but, you know, what it really comes down to is that the strike started uh, because Thatcher essentially wanted to to close a bunch of mines, and this was the National Union of Mine Workers, which is the the, the major union in in the United Kingdom that uh, you know supported miners and, and and organized miners at the time. Uh, it was uh, it was ruled a, a, an illegal strike. Um, there was not a vote taken or something like that. I, I don't pretend to understand everything that mm. was going on at the time. I am not British, so the, some of the nuances of this are lost on me, but. Anyway, it was it was a it was ruled an illegal strike. Um, there were a lot of miners that that were not striking, especially in the north of England, mm. and they lost. At the end of the day, they lost. They were were crushed by the conservative government. Um, and now, like I said, you know, uh, Britain is is widely viewed as a deindustrialized nation. You know, there there basically is no coal mining left in in the United Kingdom. Uh, you know, whether or not that's a good thing or not. I will leave that as an exercise for the listener. But and I have the feeling that it, we're going to be talking about current American politics in our discussion too, because coal is certainly back in the news. But yeah, yeah. But but I think that that's really you know that that's sort of the context for the movie that yeah. that is not there because I don't think watching this movie you would know any of that. Yeah, I didn't get the sense how big it was or anything. It's almost like a and I don't I didn't a small thing is I didn't get the sense how long this had been going at the beginning of the movie. I mean, this character Mark kind of is watching a news article on the way to the Pride Parade, and uh, he gets this idea, all right, we're going to get money for that. I don't know if this is just he just found out about it then, or he just, you know, I had it it had been brewing for weeks, and, you know, this was just his flash of inspiration because he'd be around people. I wasn't clear on that. Well, so um, we have to remember that that the United Kingdom is a very small country, right? That that's number one. And uh, at I think I just looked it up on Wikipedia. There were about one hundred and forty thousand miners that were striking. Um, that's a pretty big number of of people in a, in a country of I think there were maybe you know thirty five forty million people, um, you know, in the United Kingdom in, in nineteen eighty four nineteen eighty five. That that's a still a yeah. pretty small percentage, but it's it's a you know pretty massive one, um, in terms of of a strike. And the strike started in in February of nineteen eighty four. The movie starts on on Gay Pride June. Day, June thirtieth, nineteen eighty four. So it had been going on for a few months at that point. And and it ended in uh, March of 1985, right? And then yeah. the movie ends. So the movie takes place over an entire year. Uh, it ends, it, you know, it starts at a gay pride march and it ends at a gay pride yeah. march. 
So yeah, the, the 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 strike had been going on for for a few months by that point. Okay, yeah, that, I mean, and that makes sense too. And I mean, I know it's big enough that at the end of the movie, the uh, the newbie's mother, you know, comments on it at the end. You know, she sees that as a big thing. But okay, but I think that that to to get into this a little more, you know, some of the context around gay rights in in the United Kingdom as well, I think, are interesting because. You know, homosexuality had had been decriminalized in the United Kingdom, I believe, in 1968. Yeah. Um, now they do make a point in this movie of saying that there was a different age of consent um, for for queer people and for for um, heterosexuals, uh, and that is one of the things that uh, the character of Joe, who was created for the movie, which I, I do want to talk about. Um, you know, they they make a joke about that 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 you know he comes to this gay pride march when he's twenty, but he can't actually legally uh, engage in sex yeah. with anyone. Which even comes um, back later when he his he's talking to his mother and she's saying, you know, the laws are there to protect you, as if in the next you know what is it two three months at that point he's going to turn twenty one, as if that's going to be the time that's going to mature him out of this phase he's going through. But um, right, yeah, because that that works so often for everybody. <laughs> But but that's that's kind of the context of it. But but at the same time, you know, homosexuality had been been decriminalized in 1968, which is kind of a weird concept, I think, for Americans, because, you know, we had the, the Stonewall riots, which is widely viewed as the you know ascendancy of the, the gay rights movement in the Western world in, in uh, June of 1969. And, you know, homosexuality was was illegal in most states um, at that time, and it did not become legal I think all throughout the entire country until what, like 2005 or something? Loving you know, v. So, Texas, wasn't that it? Yeah. Which was, uh, I mean, around the time this movie was being made. Let's put that context in because this was 2005 as well, right? No, this was 2014. 2014. This movie was 2014? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I thought it was a lot so, older than that. Anyway. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's fairly new. So that's kind of the context of it, but but like gay gay people in in Britain obviously were still you know widely discriminated yeah. against, even though homosexuality had had been decriminalized for almost twenty years by by the time this movie was taking place. I mean the eighties in general, and again, it is very interesting to see the similarities in the way culture was because eighties, you know, we had Reagan at the same time. I I I know it's not exactly right to equate, equate Reagan with Thatcher, but I mean, they they were of a piece, I believe, and the yeah. I would say the cultures were of a piece as as well. You have this very, uh, the eighties were a really fucking homophobic time in America. Um, yeah, you watch and movies, you'll that that that's all you need to know. Right, and I, you know, obviously, a lot of that had to do with with the AIDS crisis. Yeah, this, this movie does touch on that a little bit, but but it's not the driving force of the movie, and I think it would have been weird if the movie had completely ignored the AIDS crisis because of course this was yeah. 1984 1985 when you know things were were getting going yeah i mean um, the main character of the movie ends up dying of aids and you know one of the other major characters is hiv you know so yes it is i mean you i mean this is in general one of my issues with the movie is it both tries to cram in too much and on certain things it gives a little too cursory of a thing but yeah, I mean, I think that the movie is, the movie's interesting, right? Because it it does try to cram in a little too much. I think you're right. I think it's very breezy. It does a pretty good job of, of hitting all the major points. I am conflicted about the character of Joe. Yeah, I, you know, this is a 
pretty standard biopicy sort of device where you create a character who did not actually exist to act as an audience stand-in character that is going to inform the audience's journey through this world. You know, they are the ones that are asking all the questions that the audience has so that the audience yeah. finds out what they need to know to make sense of the plot. And, you know, but at the same time, like, would the movie have been stronger, do you think, if Joe had not been in the movie? Yeah, I mean, if he had not been as major of a... I, I don't know, because he is a very... He's the stock gay plot, right? Like, the, the, the cliche gay movie is that you have a guy who's living at home, and he sneaks off into the gay clubs, and he begins to learn who he is, and he begins to blossom, and he figures out his place in the world, and he's hiding it from his parents, and then they find out, and then either they tearfully accept him or they kick him out, which is what happens in this movie. I mean, it is almost a cliche. Well, they don't kick him out. Well, he leaves, he's, to be fair. He's not made welcome there. But yeah, it, it, that's it's it's that's fair to say. Um, either way, this is, this is the cliche gay movie plot. And given that the rest of the movie is not a cliche gay movie, I do feel that. I would have rather spent more time with Mark than Joe in a lot of ways. Just, you know, most of the time of... I, of course, recognize, number one, this is so that the straight people watching can have, again, their entrance into this world. That's not too scary. Joe is this, you know, he's cute and harmless and sweet, and, you know, he's he's a safe gay to be, you know, be your Virgil in this. And even for the gay audience, you know, I'm gay in 2017, I'm not gay in 1984, and so... You know, I don't really. Well, you were gay in 1984. You were just like two years old. <laughs> yeah, that that's fair. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely homosexuality with me was very illegal at that point. But um, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, I think that you, that is, that is one of the things that I think is a failing of the movie as well is that we don't really get a good sense of who Mark is as a person. And, you know, he was instrumental in this. I mean, he he was the one who yeah. came up with the idea for, for lesbians and gays support the minors. He uh, very I mean, and this is one of the things, too, that, that is very strange to me is that this movie is very political and apolitical at the same time, because, you know, it, it mentions Thatcher. It mentions all of the harassment that the minors and the the uh, gay people are, are, are getting. It's kind of equating that in a certain sense in terms of a solidarity, not in terms of actually maybe what. Uh, the reality of yeah. the situation is and the miners are sort of taken aback by that at the beginning and then they come around to that idea as they go to London and they see how gay people live and all that kind of stuff right and but but the weird thing about the movie is that you know it, it kind of portrays Mark's decision to to start this group as sort of like a lark where he just wakes yeah. up and he's like yeah let, I have a great idea let, let's do this I just saw Thatcher on TV and, you know, in reality, Mark was a committed member of the Communist Party of Britain. He very deliberately came up with this plan to align the, the mining community and the union uh, to, to gain support for enshrining gay rights into the Labor Party manifesto, which did happen. Mm. And so I, I'm a little of two minds about the movie's portrayal of Mark as as not having any sort of agenda here. He he did have an agenda, and it was pretty explicit in reality. Now, you could argue that that would make the movie a little too calculating. I don't know. 
But well, it is a strange choice, I think. I mean, there is that the word agenda is very particularly used towards the end of the movie after they have this vote to not accept the support anymore. And, you know, they're saying, well, you know, they just they're just going on a bandwagon. We're in the news, but really they just want their agenda. And then um, what's what's the woman's name? Uh, oh, um, I don't know what it's some are. Welsh name that I don't yeah. remember. Uh, you know, she dumps several thousand pounds on and says yeah this is their agenda i mean i think the movie oh sean yeah that's the one name i do remember yeah Yeah. Yeah. i mean i think they make it very clear that just because there is an agenda gay rights is not a bad thing necessarily and it's not an agenda which is going to hurt or diminish the minors in any way again the very fact of solidarity means that we both have agendas. You want to be working. You want dignity. You want to be able to feed your families. We want to be able to go out on the street without being harassed. We want to be able to live our lives and work and have our own families. If these are two agendas, they are agendas that match up very well. And that doesn't mean that we can't help each other. And again, this is the point where the miners are the ones who need help and they help. In, in this, in, at the end of the movie, at the Pride Parade, the miners are okay. They're getting back on their feet, at least. And it's the gays who need the help. And it's our, their turn. Again, they can... these if they, if they have two different agendas, that's not a bad thing. That's not a sinister thing. I mean, I think the word agenda is used very sinisterly a lot of times. It is, yeah. And I think that, that I'm, I'm with you. And I think the other piece of that is that, you know, as you say the miners' agenda to, to be able to provide for their family yeah. and to, to live, essentially, and to have a job. And, and the you know the queer people in this movie's desire to, to live a life openly without fear yeah. of, of harassment and beating by the police. I think, you know, those are agendas, but but they're not in conflict with each other. And, and nobody's you know, being underhanded about it. I think, you know, both of them are very, both groups are very open. This is what we want. This is what we want. And I think that that's embodied in in the character of Gethin, the the Welsh guy who hmm. left home and and didn't go back, right? Hadn't been back for I think he said like something like sixteen, eighteen yeah. years, you know. Because here's a character who who grew up in one of these you know kind of towns, right? One of these mining towns in Wales. Did not feel welcome there because of his his queerness, his homosexuality. Left, went to London, and just never went back. And you know, then he goes back in this new context of providing help and aid to the striking miners and realizes that you know they they have more in common than he thought and that that wales has changed in a sense i mean if you if you think back to it i actually did the math while i watched the movie he would have left i think in 1968 which was the same year that that homosexuality was decriminalized and and now it's 1984 so that's a pretty big and and kind of uh i guess consequential decade and a half in, in a way really yeah i mean number one i think the the gethin character is a foreshadowing of where joe is going to end up you know hopefully it will not take him 16 years to reconcile with his family but you do get the sense that there is hope that eventually there will be an understanding and you know you mentioned 68 i mean there's that conversation between bill nyan and melda staunton where he says you know i'm gay and she's like yeah i've known since 1968 uh or something like that um i mean she's really the one who is instrumental in getting gethin to go back to his mother she's the one who's saying you know i know it's you know because she is able to accept and love him and he's just a stranger i think he begins to realize that you know maybe my mother could have had a change of heart which obviously turns out to be the case Right, right. 
Yeah, I mean, there's that great scene where Gethin finally goes to to the yeah. town, and you know, they say, "Oh, where are you from?" And he says, "I'm from here." It's like, nope, <laughs> no, don't bring people from North Wales here, you know. And and he's, it's funny because it's it, it could be construed as 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 kind of cruel to do that to him, <laughs> but I think he realizes where it's coming from and that he's being kind of silly, right? And you know, these are people that he doesn't know; they don't know him, but they're they're welcoming him. And and yeah, I don't think that if Gethin had showed up with that initial contingent, mm. you know, at sort of like the halfway point in the movie when the first yeah uh, group of LGSM people show up, that probably would not have been the time for Gethin to go. But they already did some of the hard work, so it's yeah. it's okay that he's there now. And I think for him that all that scene also, I mean, they all talk about how, I mean, he's he's the one who's saying, "Oh, they beat me up," at, you know, at home, and I think their teasing of him is done with very much affection and compassion and all of that. Um, and I don't know. I think he begins to realize that, you know, there is a difference between being gay bashed and just, I doubt that these towns are the fuzziest towns normally. And, you know, yes, maybe he feels much more comfortable in London than anywhere else, but at the same time he can recognize that maybe there is love there. Yeah, yeah, because I don't. The other thing too, I mean, gay is the word is a real bookstore. I've been there. Uh, I don't know if that character actually existed and yeah. if he actually ran that bookstore. I don't think it matters necessarily. I mean, the fact but that they turn- don't have a where are they now for him, but they do for his partner suggests that. Yeah, well, he. I mean, the guy um, who was played by the guy from The Wire, uh, the older yes. uh, queer guy who who was one of the first people diagnosed with HIV in in, in Britain, uh, was a real person, and he had a different boyfriend. Um, they gave him the car- They gave him uh, a boyfriend, Gethin, because they wanted uh, him to be involved in in the plot more. Yeah, and they wanted him to have this Welsh boyfriend. So that that kind of makes sense to me. And I also think that having Gethin own or run or work at Gaze the Word, you know, grounds him really as someone who has found his own place yeah. in his own community in London. So at when he goes back to Wales, he is coming there from a real position yeah. of of strength in a sense. He's a successful community leader at home. I mean, you you keep having I mean, that one scene with uh, Joe's mother where she's saying it's such a lonely life, you know, you won't have anybody, you won't have any family. I mean, Gethin is the proof that that's not the case, right? He is a business owner. He is has friends. He has he has a loved one. He has people just hanging around him all of the time. He is not right. lonely. He is not without a family. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's very interesting to see Joe's face during that scene because he recognizes that what she's saying is bullshit. Yeah. And and it's funny, too, because, I mean, there, there's a lot to talk about. But but just briefly, I think that, you know, Joe's family is obviously created as well. These people did not exist. And, and I think there's sort of a sly sort of like, you know, I don't know, like a keeping up appearances sort of vibe yeah. to those scenes where you kind of get the sense that these are sort of working class strivers that have clawed their way into the British middle class. And real I mean, Joe's home life, Joe's parents are very you know very interested in in the appearance of propriety more than anything else and i don't even know that it really matters to them that their son is gay it's just more like what will this look like to the neighbors we can't yes. have this because this is not going to be something that is going to reflect well on the family and the mm-hmm. home which is strange but i think that's something that still goes on to this day oh yeah no i definitely agree on that um it has been fair you know one of the questions i was thinking to myself watching this movie is what I've been how would I have dealt with being gay in the 1980s you know if I had been there what would my experience have been like I mean I would have loved the music certainly but I don't and 
I don't know. I recognize that being closeted is very anathema to who I am, right? I came out at 17, which, you know, nowadays is old, but, uh, you know, when I was in high school, that was fairly young to come out. There, I did get a lot of, are you sure you know what you want? You're just going through a phase. And, uh, but, you know, I've moved back to Jersey and, you know, chatting with dudes on, you know, the apps. And there are so many closeted guys that I'm talking to lately. And it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is weird to go back to, to living in the suburbs after having lived in cities for so long. Yeah. I think it's probably always going to be that way to some degree i know and um but i think there but as you say middle class strivers i think there is a desire towards normalcy which in its own way is a side effect of of whatever thatcher is right i mean you have these people are no more elite than anybody else they may have a nicer house than uh you know, the main gay characters we see uh, partially due to their living in the suburbs versus the city. But, you know, they're they're still a middle class. They are not an upper class elite. And as we know now, a middle class is disappearing. And so they are just yeah. they are part of that 99 percent, too. Uh, but this is how that one percent stays in power by creating divisions. And so you have a middle class who is told this is normal. This is what you want to strive for. And. Anything deviating from that, you are going to lose whatever you have. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Well, I, I want to move away from that for for a minute because I do want to talk a little bit about the the, the female characters in yeah. the movie. And so, one of the things that I think is a problem with the movie is that lesbians against pit closures is very much portrayed as a joke. I think mm-hmm. and. That the concerns of the female members of LGSM are viewed as a joke. And the two members of it can't even bring up a women's issue. They could very quickly say, listen, you know, you're dealing with food, but they have childcare to deal with. Who's buying them tampons? Who is, you know, taking care of those kind of a thing? I mean, these, these are two very, you know, a couple of very quick things which come to mind, which a women's group would have addressed that you know, is not on Mark's radar at all. And they're seen as, you know, it, it, again, it, a joke. I think it's even more. I think they kind of see them as breaking off and destroying that solidarity in a way. In a sense. Yeah. And I think that it's a it's a it's a failing of the movie because in reality, Lesbians Against Pit Closures raised a lot of money. It was a real organization. <laughs> it was around for a while. And, you know, they had their own organization. They had their own members. You know, certainly it is, I think, maybe a little bit of a I can't decide if it's a sly wink at the fact that that left organizations, you know, tend to eat themselves and split. Mm. I don't know. But it is the case that I don't think the movie treats them seriously and it doesn't treat their issues seriously. And, you know, all of the lesbian characters in the movie are. I wouldn't say they're marginalized necessarily. I mean, certainly they do get their screen time, but I don't get a good sense of of sort of their internal lives. And I mean, to be fair, I don't get a good sense of the internal lives of a lot of the characters, but it's just a little strange to me. And if you contrast that with the way the movie handles the the female characters that that, um, live in the mining town, you know, a lot of the older women and, and even Sean, for example, uh, you know, you. I guess you could. You know, maybe I am arguing that the movie's feminist sensibilities lie with the miners' uh, wives and and family more than anything else. Because you know, Sean eventually goes to to university and becomes a, a member of parliament. 
Um, you know, a lot of the women are very strong, very well respected yeah. in that community. I mean, even the even the villainous one. <laughs> you know, I mean that that's the nice thing about this movie. It is so traditional. It even has a villain. Um, they're they're all very well respected. They're all very strong women. There's there's no real there is a there is a brief scene about or a brief mention of I think when they were about to take the vote. Um, you know, to uh to to disavow the support of the gay community uh, kind of towards the end of the mo- end of the movie after uh, the, the, the benefit concert happens that, you know, the, the one of the head of the mining uh, union says, you know, these are, these are men that are already sort of embarrassed by the fact that their women have to support them. And mm-hmm. now they're being, uh, you know, now they're being uh, helped by by gay people as well. And this is sort of emasculating for them, but that's a sentiment that we don't see at yeah. all in the movie that that doesn't seem to really be a concern of theirs in, in a way i mean the movie is does take place in a world in the mining areas where there are i would say strong gender roles the men are going out to work in the mines while the women are taking care of the children and the home everything is something that needs to get done and this is how they've split up the work and but again with sean's you know especially when the uh when the wire guy's character is talking to her and say, you know, she says, Oh, I'm, I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm life is going to go back to normal. And he's saying, no, you got to do more than that. And she ends up doing more than that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the, I think the, that part of it positions this at a very particular part of time in which there is going to be a sea change, or we hope there will be a sea change because, you already have, as it's, the movie makes it very clear, you do have women who are strong, who are powerful, who are intelligent, who are running their things. I mean, the Imelda Staunton's character's influence and just goddamn stubbornness is what causes a lot of the friendships to happen. She insists on, uh, you know, the, the one guy who's sitting to the side and she's like, no, you're going to hang out with them. Find a gay to hang with. Um, I mean, that that is, you know, at this point, she's a community leader. And I think with even... In some ways, a feminist revolution is not going to be that much of a change because so much of the groundwork has already happened naturally. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does make sense. And I, you know, it's funny as you say that because one of the things that I, I also think is, is striking about the film, which I just realized, is that all of the the, the members of LGSM are initially extremely uncomfortable yeah. uh, going to the mining community and, and and the town and going into the mining hall and all those kind of things and the reverse is not true you know the the head of the the head of the local uh, union is is very he's okay he wants to go to the yeah. pub he's like yeah sure i'll do that he gives this nice little speech everyone's on board with him he makes a cute little joke uh you know all of the women that that go uh to help out at the benefit concert you know they're they're bar hopping and they're just like yeah, yeah whatever this is a men's club i don't care we're going <laughs> you know they're very comfortable they're talking to the the guy in leather behind the bar asking him how he gets into his get up and you know they're they're finding commonalities and they're finding sort of similarities yeah. there but of course and, that's and af- that's interesting that's of course after months of working with these people maybe at the beginning of the movie they wouldn't have, they would have been a little more trepidatious but at this point they know that this is a community that has supported them and has you know welcomed them just as they've welcomed each other and you know yeah maybe that you know maybe they're going a little overboard but you know what we're here we want to see everything why not i mean they showed they showed the gay group everything in their town, so it's their turn to see this, and they're just going to run with it. They're the ones who are more capable of having fun with it. I mean, that's really the the biggest accusation that they uh, 
Levelette, the villain, the one with the haircut, is that, I mean, there's the one, you know, take the rod out of your ass. You know, she's, is, you know, everybody kind of views that if she would let herself have fun and enjoy this and actually meet these people and talk to these people, she would realize they're just a bunch of kids who are really trying to help out and they're just, yeah, they like to go dancing and, you know, listen to music. I mean, it's the same as them. Right, yeah. And that's an interesting scene as well, of course, because, you know, Bill Bill Nile's character, I think, is, is about to talk her into to coming over and meeting some of them. And of course, that is torpedoed by someone else passing by yeah. and yelling at her and she gets angry and, and goes into her house and slams the door and then kind of spurs on the, the end of the movie where uh, the vote happens and, and yeah. the, they disavow the, the support of LGSM, which I think is, you know, obvious. I don't know if that actually happened. I mean, the movie does have a very strong through arc in that sense, and I think it works pretty well. But But it is a little bit where, I don't know, I think that part of the reason why the movie works so well is that... In terms of its structure, it's extremely traditional. Mm. I mean, this is, you know, very reminiscent of a lot of other British movies. Uh, but the the subject matter is is very revolutionary in a sense. Yeah, uh, one of the lines which really came out at me uh, is this bit when the Bill Nye character is talking about this this basically seam of coal that he's like it runs from Wales, it goes under the ocean, you know, it emerges in Pennsylvania and. You know, you take any miner who has worked this and you place him anywhere and he's going to recognize it immediately. I mean, this coal is so pure and all of that. And, you know, he has this line, the pit and the people are one and the same. And he, I mean, he's not just talking about their little town. He is talking about this continuity and ultimately, you know, even miners who are not working this vein. And I mean, there is this eradication of identity and coal mining is something which came up during that fucking 2016 election that was the thing that one of the things that trump promised to bring back was coal power and it's interesting because coal power is seen as kind of an outdated thing um we we have you know many i wouldn't even say i outdated i think there is a i think there's a, a view widely held in progressive circles at this point that that coal is evil and i i think that's i i i agree with that and Yet you do have people in America who are in coal towns who don't have work, don't are are out of jobs, and I don't know what the answer is because I think the I think Trump's let's get coal power back coal power back is a band aid. It's not something which is going to be as you say. Coal is maybe evil isn't the quite the right word, but it's certainly something which is adding to pollution. It's something certain. But I mean, here we are, we are, you and I are people, and probably most of our listeners are people who believe in climate change, who believe that coal pollution is a contributor to climate change and all of these things. And well, Florida is, is as we record, currently being battered by a, a, you know, category four hurricane of historic proportions spurred on uh, partly because of warmer oceans. So, and and you know. a few days ago, Texas was hit by one. Yeah, and, you know, this is, we don't know what's going to happen next week. Um, so I don't know what that answer is because at the end of the day, you do have an eradication of identity. You do have people who, you know, if you tell them that here is what has traditionally been done in your town, here is the work that your dad did and your grandfather did, here is what... You know, you do. Yeah. Here's the work available. Um, you close minds. It's not like you're going to go to uh, – it's not like that's the only job you can get. It, 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 
you close the mines, it's not like there's a wealth of other opportunities. It's not like, you know, okay, well, you just, you know, one factory closes, there's 20 others. That's not the case. And so I guess the question is, how do you, uh, how do you avoid erasing that identity when that, when at the same point that identity is not, I guess the most neutral term I can use is practical to do anymore. Yeah, well, I think what 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 it comes down to for me really is that um, because those people still need not, dignity. Yeah, they do. But but the problem is not that. I mean, if 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 the government had had come to the miners in 2015 and said, "Look, uh, we understand that that mining coal is very important mm-hmm. to you. We understand that your identity as miners is very important to you. That gives you power. That gives you support. That gives you a community." But coal is a leading driver of climate change. We need to decarbonize our, our our economy. You know, we are going to help you through this transition. That's not where this is coming from. You know, yeah. this is coming from from a Tory and, and Thatcher place of fuck you. I don't like the workers. I don't like uh, anybody that's not rich. I need to save money to give tax cuts to people because, you know, fuck you, essentially. That That is not where that, you know, it's not coming from a good place. It's coming from yeah, a very, yeah, yeah. Very selfish place. So I think that's really the difference there. But I guess the question is, is there a solution beyond that? Because, you know, how, how do you transition people out of a post-coal lifestyle? I don't know. I guess the, I guess, and I, I mean, I guess the re- well, if we had an answer, you would be running for office. I know. I don't know what the answer is, but I also know that we live in a capitalist society, which is not conducive to transitions of that nature. Yeah. So I don't know. Why? I mean, I'm not going to pretend I have an answer. I mean, I know Donald Trump isn't the fucking answer, but that's, you know, I don't know. But like I said, this it's interesting how historically things are so different, especially in, I mean, 1984, you could certainly understand some of the problematic aspects of coal but i don't think the situation was as dire as it is now and you know we're going to reopen the coal mines i know is not the answer either no no we should not reopen the coal mines that's a terrible idea uh the damage has already been done in in many senses of the word so i I don't think that reopening it is going to help anything but it is difficult to again that line the pit and the people are one and the same you know that's a poetic line in a movie but it is something that i think is a consideration. I think that is a thing. And yeah, yeah, no, it's certainly, well, it, it's, it's giving people, uh, you know, really a, a reason to exist. And that's kind of the formation of the community. And the answer is, okay, you can't have that anymore. So what replaces that? And I don't know, but, but I think that that certainly did not happen in the UK. It has not happened in America. Hmm. So, yeah. Well, I, I think we're kind of getting to the end of the conversation, but, but I think maybe the, the, way to end this is to talk about the end of the movie right because again it's a it's a rousing end to the movie it's very well done in reality it was not a surprise that all of these miners showed up to the gay pride march i mean it's it's viewed as it's it's shown as a surprise at the end of the movie because that's surprising and heightens the tension and the the relief of the moment uh it's very well done. I think it's 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 interesting to me as well that you know I marched in the gay pride gay pride parade here in, in well not here but in New York um, a few a couple months ago in June for the first time and you know you've got basically all of these people lining Fifth Avenue watching the per- watching the march go down the street and that was not the case in 1985. Mm. Like you look at the last shot, the overhead shot where the crane goes up, and I'm sure part of it was the fact that like they didn't have a lot of money for extras, but 
there's nobody watching this march go through. Like, the, just the reality of of gay rights has changed in the 30 years since this movie was was set. So that's interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I went and to then, gay prides at Portland, and it's considered almost a family event. You know, you have people bringing their kids because it's a big party. It's a carnival, really. Right. And that was not certainly not the case in 1985. <laughs> And then, of course, we we get the the ending crawl where it kind of gives you some of the the um, fates of yeah. some of the, the the real people in the movie. And I don't know; it's it's so. I mean, it's well done. It's a well done movie. It's it's bittersweet, of course, because the miners did did you know fail in their effort to you know keep their way of life, keep their quality of life, keep their working conditions, keep their pay, keep the keep the pits open. I mean. There are basically no coal mines left in the United Kingdom, as I said earlier. And it's also marked by the the specter of the, the real start of the AIDS crisis in Britain yeah. because, you know, Mark dies at a very young age. A lot of gay men died at very young ages. We, we I think it's it's you know, you think about the impact of HIV AIDS and how many really, really bright, smart, creative, talented Men died at extremely young ages. I mean, I think Mark died when he was 26. 26, it says, yeah. Um, Which makes you appreciate how young he was in the movie because that was two years out. So he was like 23, 24 during the... Yeah. But... Yeah. And and, and that's the thing that fucking pisses me off about the way we handle healthcare because we live in a time of goddamn miracles when it comes to HIV medication, right? Like, you can be... You have HIV. You can be on a daily pill with minimal to no side effects that will keep your count low and will keep you from ever getting AIDS. If you do not have AIDS, you can take a one daily pill with pretty much no side effects that will prevent it. I mean, this is these are wonderful things. This is the I mean, The only thing that will beat those is a cure or a vaccine. Right. And I mean, as you say, so many young people are lost. So many people are lost. We did not live in the time when I don't know anybody who has died of AIDS, but, you know, 10, 20 years older and we definitely and most of our friends would have been there. And yeah, I don't know. I think that is just so very important that we be able to have these kind of treatments available for everybody who wants yeah, because it's it's interesting because I think that that this movie is is really uh, really strange because it ends at the beginning of both the deindustrialization of the United Kingdom, the the collapse of the coal mine, the collapse of the unions, the the collapse of the power of the trade unions in the United Kingdom, and it also stops at the very beginning of the AIDS crisis in the United Kingdom. I mean, let's not forget that the height of the AIDS crisis, the most deaths occurred in 1995 um right before the the introduction of of protease inhibitors in 1996 so we're talking about the very very beginning of the aids crisis we're talking about the you know slow decline of the trade unions in the united kingdom and the coal industry but it almost doesn't matter like the movie ends at a very sort of high moment everyone is marching in the in the in everyone's marching in the march uh, everyone is happy. Joe is happy. Mark is happy. The miners are happy. Everyone is having a good time. And it, it's almost like take your, I guess, take your, your victories where you can get them. But it's a strange, bittersweet ending to a movie that, and I think it honors that. Yeah. I think it's, it's important to recognize that 
at the end of the day, the miners did fail, that at the end of the day, uh, you know, yes, they were able to enshrine gay rights into the Labor Party manifesto in 1986. You know, this this sort of uh, LGSM minor alliance was was key to that. But it still came at a very, very low point for for the queer community. So. But I, it's always the, the struggle is always happening, I guess. And the movie kind of ends on that note, I think. But I think there is I, I think the movie does kind of address that. You have the guy who's organizing that. He's like, oh, yeah, go in the back with the fringe groups. You know, we don't want to be political this year. We just want to be celebratory. And I mean, that's really the big tension, isn't there? You uh, and and the part, and, you know, sorry to cut you off, but like part of that, too, is like, what the fuck is there to celebrate <laughs> that, you know? that at this moment? But I think the movie I think the movie tries to have it both ways, and I think mostly succeeded. It allows that, you know, the miners lost. The some of the many of these people that we see are going to die of AIDS-related complications. You know, a lot of these miners are going to be poor. They are not ever, ever going to get into the glory days that they may have been. But at this very moment, we're alive and we're ha- we're celebrating, we're partying. We have and we have all our friends and loved ones around and. I mean, that's the thing. Everybody's story ends with a death, right? And, you know, yeah. a happy ending just depends on where you end it. And so, you know, something right now is a happy moment. And right now, it you know, what did we get out of this experience? We got we got solidarity. And that, more than anything, is what gave everybody in this movie dignity. And I think I, I think that's the closest that I, I, I don't. It might be a little cynical to say maybe that's the best we can hope for, but I don't think that's a bad thing either. Yeah. No, I don't think it is. And I think that's a good place to leave this conversation. Well, as always, we just want to take this opportunity to thank all of you, our loyal patrons, for your monthly support. It is very much appreciated. Uh, We would not be – well, we would be able to do this podcast without you, but it would be uh, less fun. So thank you for that. Next month – October, which, you know, is only like two weeks from now or something. I don't know. Whatever the hell's going on. Time has lost all meaning for me. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, the Alien franchise, mostly focusing on the the actual like two movies. I think there are other movies in the Alien (laughs) franchise. I have heard that there are. But but I don't know. That sounds like an urban legend to me. There's Alien. Um, There's Aliens. And depending on how wasted you are, Alien 3. Right. Yes, and and I don't know anything about the rest of them. I've never seen Alien versus Predator, uh, so I am not a straight frat boy. So <laughs> that's why. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. So so look forward to that. Uh, and then November, we're going to be uh, doing the Orville, um, which Richard I thought was a half hour comedy, and as it turns out, it's an hour long drama. What? Yeah. Oh God. Oh. So so thanks, Richard. Okay. Thanks. Well, no, because the reason we said we weren't going to do it right away is we'll give it time to get canceled. So the fact that it's an hour-long drama makes me feel better about it. Doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, better about its chances to get fucking canceled. Yeah. And then December, we have a very, very exciting mystery project for the patron special, which we will be uh, soliciting your opinions about. We're doing it on Murder, future. She Wrote. Yes, Murder, exactly, yes. And in... We are doing it on Murder, She Wrote. It is going to be a 17-hour uh, a retrospective on the Murder, She Wrote franchise. Um, we're going to be covering the television show, the Broadway musical, uh, the uh, VR game that came out in 1996. Based on the episode uh, about the VR game? Exactly. Um, also, uh, I, I believe that if we can track it down, 
uh, we're actually going to be covering the made-for-TV, British TV, by the way, Murder, She Wrote movie starring none other than Imelda Stanton. <gasps> She's so which good. Which is a nice link to Pride. We're not going to be doing any of that. All right, well, thank you very much, everyone. Richard, would you like to thank them? Uh, thank you. There you go. All right, we'll see you next month. Enjoy.